0: eyes peeled everyone it's time for the full 10 yards college football podcast
1: hello and welcome to another edition of the 10 Yards College podcast. I'm joined by Maxwell today. Uh, we're going to do something pretty similar to what we did last week where we talked about teams, but we're going to revert this back onto just individual players this time. But again, talking about risers and fallers and sort of people that have impressed us and people who have disappointed us. Uh, Maxwell, bring you in, buddy. How are you?
0: Very good, thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, college football and all these exciting young players.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. No, we, I think we got uh, quite a lot of good feedback from last week's um last week's podcast so yeah good to kind of go along these lines again and um, yeah hopefully we'll get the same again. Um, first of all like last week we're just going to sort of touch on the main sort of stories in the college football landscape and uh, talk about a few games and a few shocks and none other than uh, South Carolina beating Georgia. Um, I at the time I've seen a little bit of this um, sort of after the fact but I was actually watching the Oklahoma Texas game which we'll come on to in a second. Um, but so, Maxwell, what do you kind of think of this, this game with Georgia and South Carolina? Obviously, a big shock. And uh, Jake Fromm, not really looking like himself.
0: Definitely a big shock. Um, you know, the Twitter world was ablaze with anger at Jake Fromm in the moment. And he <laughs> obviously didn't have his best game. Uh, they lost what was essentially a pretty close game in the end mm. against a team that are clearly not as talented as them across the board. They're. Starting quarterback, Kalinsky, went out, but he's already a backup. So they actually were on their third Mm quarter at the end of the game. But it was very much South Carolina's defense which overpowered the Georgia passing game Mm -hmm. and the inside run. So really interesting to see. No one predicted it beforehand, especially because South Carolina had been beaten quite heavily by Missouri a few weeks earlier. Probably goes to show how talented that Missouri front seven is. Indeed. Um, Uh, and offensive line in terms of um, holding off the uh, South Carolina team. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to see Jake from struggle Mm. to see George's offense struggle um, because of all the talent they have there and their, their defense played pretty well actually, but it was probably overshadowed by the fact, uh, because obviously there was a big pick six Mm. from which kind of swayed the game as a whole. Yeah, no, definitely
1: did. Um, yeah, it kind of shakes things up as well with the rankings. Obviously, Georgia dropping to number 10 now, and obviously shakes things up in the SEC as well. Obviously, we're kind of expecting Georgia to win this and kind of, you know, only potentially lose against Alabama maybe later in the season and LSU and the big teams like that that they'll come up against. So, you know, it's quite a big shock that this happened against South Carolina, who, like you say, have, have kind of lost against uh, other opponents that you would expect Georgia to beat.
0: Yeah, they're going to now have to win every game mm. to be given a chance of going to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But realistically, <laughs> there's a big big possibility this year that there will be four unbeaten teams. And I think it's going to be really hard for Georgia to be above one of those.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that completely, to be honest. Um Let's move on to one of those teams that I do think will be unbeaten, and especially now. Before the season, I predicted that Oklahoma would go unbeaten, and this was one that I had done as their biggest test against Texas, and they came through that just about. uh, It was a bit of a strange game. Um, Obviously, we were expecting two quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Sam Erlinger, to kind of take over and it to be a bit of a shootout, and it wasn't a low-scoring game by any means, but I thought that both the defences played really well in this one and uh, were on top, and Yeah, it was kind of, like I say, a bit of a different game than we we kind of thought it would be. How did you see this one?
0: Yeah, even though Oklahoma did put up a lot of points, I think probably a little overshadowed how good the Texas pass defence was. They did actually really cause Hurts some problems passing the ball. But Oklahoma's offence, as always, ran for eight yards a carry. Um, And Jalen Hurts' running ability, I think really, even though Kyler Murray's quick, I think way above Baker and Kyler. Mm. He is... A, a refined runner, he looks like a, a running back out
1: there. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he really can take over a game. And, like you say, just he was by far there, leading rusher 131 yards and a touchdown on 17 carries, and still pretty efficient with the ball. Although he did make a few quite poor decisions uh, one interception and a couple of errant throws in the red zone that could have been picked off, and a bit of a head scratching uh, sort of decision from Jalen Hurts at, at those times. yeah, no, really good battle this one. Um, Mm. And I think we got the right result in the end, I would say.
0: Definitely got the right result. And in some ways, it really was a coming out party for Alex Scrinch in that defense. Mm, Absolutely. I think we'll talk about some of the individuals later. But um, Alex Scrinch was famous for that Washington State defense where they did loads of pre-snap shifts. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously rare for a defense to do. Um, He did a little bit of it in this game for the first time this season. Um, but really, it was just the execution of that front seven, in particular. Um, Ellinger is, a, I think, he's a great player, um, and uh, certainly for college football. And um, it was, it was great to see Oklahoma with a defense which we haven't seen in well, I can't ever remember seeing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: I think the Big 12 is, well, it's not a conference that's known for its defensive prowess, is it? And I think oh, uh, like we're doing, we we saw Oklahoma with that and then Texas putting on a bit of a show with their past defense, yeah. as you say. And it's quite, kind of nice to
0: see. It is. Baylor and mm. Texas Tech have both got defenses. Iowa State, like, it's, they're not the best defenses in the country, but it's certainly making the division a lot more exciting.
1: Yeah, definitely. And a bit more balanced than usual as well, which, which mm-hmm. I didn't see coming preseason. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, I agreed.
1: Um, and then I guess the the next sort of point of course to sort of on our trail through the week's college fo- football would be uh, LSU at uh, Florida. i will see LSU coming away with a victory here, quite a heavy victory as well, um, and now ranked number two. And I guess my question to you, Maxwell, will be how are they not ranked number one? <laughs>
0: uh, because uh, of Nick Saban and Alabama, that's why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but are we talking about I'm... reputation there rather than the actual, what they've come through?
0: Yeah, and LSU have played they have they have proven to be better mm. than Alabama this year. Um however, saying that, obviously Alabama did quite heftily beat that South Carolina team. It just um it just beat Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, LSU's offense scoring fifty-five points a game or maybe a bit less now, but um, they are um, playing unbelievably. That wide receiver core is getting open constantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joe Burrow is, I mean, playing fantastic, but he's got so much time to throw the ball. And I think most surprisingly was the fact that their run game stepped up. You know, they have been a pass dominant team this year, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the run game was, again, I think they were going at seven yards a carry. Florida couldn't stop them. No, certainly
1: not. And you know, on this podcast today, we're going to be talking about rises and and fallers in our sort of draft preparation and draft rankings as we come up uh, about halfway through the season. And is there a player that's sort of risen any more than Joe Burrow? Because pre-season, for me, he was nowhere near the top of the list in terms of quarterbacks in my rankings. And and now I'd I'd be <laughs> I'd be pushing towards the top of the list, and you know you can't really deny that. Yeah, pure
0: pure. Um production perspective he is the most productive quarterback mm. in in the country this year but he is um uh you know i he's actually a funny one because obviously at one time he was the highest recruited high school player mm-hmm. and you know if it wasn't for dwayne haskins being one of the best quarterbacks in Ohio higher state history he probably would have stayed mm-hmm. um so you know he he has had some strange ups and downs but right now he is peaking Um, And I can't see, like you said, how he's not going to be flying up the draft boards because he hasn't put a foot wrong.
1: No, no, he's not. And I guess talking about the two games that we just talked talked about with Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow, some people are talking about Joe Burrow now overtaking him in the Heisman and that's the Heisman leader. How do you you sort of see that one?
0: Uh, That is interesting. I hadn't Mm -hmm. heard that yet, Um, but it makes sense. Uh, Certainly after this performance, I think um, there are obviously... uh, a few good candidates now, but mm-hmm. oh, yeah. week on week, the the odds are getting smaller to those few. Um, I think really that LSU Alabama game will probably take take us a long way as to as to who wins out. Sure. Yeah. Um, it can't not if they're going to go head to head. But the way he's playing right now, now even if Alabama beat LSU, I don't think it's going to be because Burrow makes mistakes. Um, so he could, he, could still, he could still lose the game and come out sort of
1: looking good yeah. in terms of Heisman voting.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if uh, it's likely Alabama stopped the LSU run game, um, which means that the only way they will be able to put up points is through the air. Mm-hmm. And if they lose a high point scoring game and the LSU's defence don't turn up, then I could see that um it's it's gonna be harder to do obviously um mm-hmm. but i could, yeah i don't think it's um out of the question um I think he's probably not the favorite right now, but um he's got to be second, sure, no yeah, I'd go along with that uh, i would go along with uh, yeah i will definitely go
1: along with that um I think the angle that some people are kind of saying and coming from with that one is that now that oconnor has got its biggest sort of game out of the way and hurts i mean he was decent don't get me wrong he he wasn't fantastic either. Like I say, he made a few boneheaded decisions, and you know he did have a pick, and yeah, he he didn't play his best. Let's say that, and now he doesn't really have another test coming up. Whereas Joe Burrow's got to go through a few SEC teams, and that'll be more stepping stones on his way towards the, the you know on his road to the voting. Really,
0: yeah, I think if both teams win out, Burrow will probably beat Hurts, but um, two are still in it, um, so. Um, I suppose it depends on... It, it often does depend on who wins, doesn't it? But,
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe, maybe yeah, like I, I say, um, two are flying under the radar a little
0: bit. A little bit, yeah. Uh, but I don't think that... Um, I don't think that Hertz is going to lose another game. Let's put it that way.
1: No, same. I'll like, go along so, with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, let's um, let's move on to our from Jobo into our other risers. Um, we're going to start off with the risers, start off with the positive as we did last week before we move on to our fallers. Uh, Maxwell, how about you hit us up with okay. your first one?
0: Well, let's start off with um, a recap of the article we released on Monday. Mm. Um, so I released an article on Tylen Wallace, the Oklahoma State wide receiver. Um, so you can see that on the uh, full ten yards website, and it basically goes into I've gone into four key areas with him: um, his hands, his blocking, his route running ability, um, and his after catch. Um, and I think the thing with Wallace is obviously the numbers are up there. He's got you know a ridiculous amount of yards and touch, touchdowns already this season, um, you know, blowing away opposition but I think his route running is incredibly refined for a college player. Um, I think the comparison I drew was to Calvin Ridley, Mm -hmm. who, um, again, not the fastest or um, best at many many areas, but his route running was excellent and allowed him to really gain um, a lot of success early in his career in the NFL. Um, And that's where I see Wallace as as well. Uh, And on top of that, he's got good hands he can block he, he seems to be a leader in the offense he kind of has a full package um without having um the full amount of um of uh backing from from the from the early draft boards
1: yeah definitely i mean for me he, he wasn't in my top five or top 10 wide receivers pre-season but he's really burst on the scene and i think you in your article you really set the scene really nicely and um yeah, go through the sort of uh, aspects of his game that are really strong, and I think, like you say, I think his route running and the way he gains separation is really pivotal because you know you, you need to be able to separate in the NFL. That's the that's the be all and end all for wide receivers, whether that's vertically, whether that's um, you know going up and going up the ladder and getting the ball from from a jump ball. Uh, but you know if you can create space between you and the defender, it's basically an open window the whole time, which is what Tyler Morris does really well. And he's also got the yak ability, uh, the run after the catch that, that um, you know, makes him a dangerous weapon You know, with the ball in his hands. And you can kind of build an offence around that sort of person and player because you only need to get the ball in your hands and you can let them create their own you know little bit of, bits of magic. And uh, yeah, I see he's got a bit of a bright future ahead of him, I feel.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think it really is shown by the fact that they have even put him in at running back for some players. Mm. That's how much confidence they have with him with the ball in his hand. Mm.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess we'll go from, from one person's article to the next. And obviously the, the week before that I spoke about Isaiah Hodgins, the uh Oregon State uh wide receiver. And I think for me, again, like Tyler Wallace, he's like the very definition of a riser. He even less so than Tyler Wallace. He just simply wasn't on the radar last year. Um, you know, he's had a solid mm. sophomore season. Uh but, you know, no one really expected him to make the leap that he has. Um he had a decent season for a sophomore for a poor programme. Um, but he's really making sort of people sit up and take notice. And he's eclipsed the numbers already from his sophomore season pretty much. He's scored over double, almost double the touchdowns and he's pretty much at the yards mark halfway through the season. So you're expecting him to go on and have a big season and it's at the perfect time because he's just becoming draft eligible. Um and, you know, it's another one with with just massive production and even, like I said in the article, it's, even though the opponent will know that that's where the ball's going to go, Isaiah Hodgins is still winning. He's still gaining separation. He's still making catches, making plays, scoring touchdowns. And it's great to see. And I think, like I said as, again in the article, I think he's still got a lot more room to grow And in terms of his route run, in terms of his um, speed and his sort of physicality. Cause he's quite a, a thin, skinny receiver. And I think, yeah, I think he's going to keep rising and rising. I think he's really sort of on the up. I think he's kind of cracked it maybe mentally and he just needs to kind of put those physical attributes together and keep putting good game tape together and, and carry it on to improve.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he's um, been a real surprise. Um, and, but he is a, a big guy, you know, he's, he's about 6'3", although he isn't <laughs> the, the thickest. He's, you know, as you mentioned, quite skinny. I think the one thing from watching film which was quite interesting was I was going to say negatively. Oh, he's never had a. He doesn't. You don't really see him catching traffic. Mm. But that's because he's always open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of his catches. He really is. He, his route running and the way he kind of glides past defenders really reminds me of Dante Pettis, who obviously was a second mm-hmm. rounder. And um, you know, he's not blowing the league away, but he's uh, he is still good at getting open and has done that well in that 49ers offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's who he reminds me of in the way that he kind of he's not the maybe he might not get the fastest 40 time but he certainly just seems to ghost past defenders um, smooth smooth runner and he just always seems to be open
1: yeah no definitely I completely agree and I guess you've just talked about Calvin Ridley now you've talked about Dante Pettis both in the Shanahan system which I know that you're a bit of a fan of as well
0: I am yeah <laughs> if you follow my Twitter account we'll see how often I uh, talk about uh the Shanahan offense and all the different plays he has. He's he's a fascinating one to watch the all twenty-two of.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, I'm a big fan of myself. Um yeah, going back quite a long time. So yeah, no, definitely agree with you on that one. And yeah, just a bit of an advertisement, if you do want to see some good game film, go over to Maxwell's Twitter, uh a winning a winning smile with underscores in between all the words. And yeah, you'll see some uh, some uh, yeah, good film and good breakdowns from our man here. Mm-hmm. Um let's, let's switch over to defense. I think you've got a defense. A defense. Oh, my God. A defender. Sorry. <laughs> Next. <Yeah.
0: haven't> <laughs> I've got a few defenders to talk about, but let's start off with the big game from the weekend uh, was where he really shone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, the nose tackle for South Carolina. Um, he is um, a special um, athlete. Um, he's a, a big guy over, you know, six... Five over 300 pounds plays anywhere between a heads up zero technique and a three technique. Um, Sometimes, occasionally, you see him rushing off the edge as well. Mm -hmm. Um, His speed off the ball is outstanding for a guy that size. It really is. I mean, he flies out the blocks. And if you want to say there was one person who was um, incredibly destructive in causing all that pressure that was causing problems for. um, Jake from at the weekend I mean he was the biggest reason for that there was a great example of that uh, second the last play of the second half um, they were George were marching down the field trying to get a score before the half and despite the fact that he was double teamed, he ended up getting the sack to close out the half because he just went straight through one of the um, uh, one of the, one of the blockers and uh, he's just so destructive.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is going to be the sort of game that he kind of hangs his hat on when it comes to draft season. This is going to be the one that everyone's putting in and sort of pointing to uh, when, you know, scouts going back to the GM and advocating for Kinlaw to be sort of the pick. They're going to point to this game and say, this, look, he can be a destroyer from, yeah, from a nose tackle position as well, where he's going to be faced with more double teams than, you know, if he's playing like a three technique, in you know, a in an even front or something like that. Um yeah, so you're of course, just, yeah. that's you know getting past rush when you're not really expected to, and for a man of his size, I think like he plays with quite low pad level, which obviously is really important to gain that leverage. Um, so yes. yeah, no, I think it's a great shout, and it, for me personally, it's someone who I kind of watched film on him last from last year in the summer, and I was a bit, I wasn't convinced, let's say that, but seeing him against Georgia and then uh, a couple of performances so far this year, and yeah, he's certainly starting to rise up my. In my, my estimations, on my
0: board, for real. Yeah, I agree. I think a couple of things that he's really shown this year is not just that burst, but you've actually seen him playing more of a four-point stance this year and do some two-gap work, which mm. is obviously he didn't do earlier in his career. He was all about just penetrating the gap, but now they're playing and doing some different things with him, which for his draft stock is huge. Mm. Um, and also, uh, I remember watching a clip of him changing direction when there's a screen thrown next to him and how he chased down the running back. And the guy who he reminded me of more than anyone was Fletcher Cox. I mm, you were going to say that that. <laughs> who, Yeah, didn't you? As you were building off, I kind
1: of just, yeah, I just thought, I don't know what you're going to say.
0: Yeah, so that's exactly who he reminds me of. And I think if he's getting comparisons like that, especially with the um, growth in those interior pass rushes like your Aaron Donalds and mm. now your Ed Olivers and people like that um, – I think he could really be um a highly drafted um or potentially highly drafted um prospect,
1: yeah definitely, yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, I'm gonna switch over from one performer on the weekend uh, in Kinmore to another guy who really performed on the weekend uh this is Kenneth Murray um from Oklahoma, the linebacker um when we we're preparing for this podcast when we were kind of talk about players and things like that, I didn't have him on my list I didn't have to prepare I didn't originally prepare for kind of Murray to be someone I was going to talk about, but obviously, like I said, I was watching the game against Texas and I just felt like you know I had to. i mentioned it in the group chat that we've got for our, all our writers on the college football side, and yeah, he just made me sit up and take what uh, take notice. Um, he's I think it's only the second time that I've watched Oklahoma live this year, and like I said before, when we were talking about the game itself, I thought that their defense kind of won them the game. I think they really stifled Texas. And the driving forces of that were Kenneth Murray and uh, Neville Gallimore. Um, Murray was getting some buzz. And so far, what, from what I've seen, he's, he's really been excellent. And he's really rising up the draft board. Some people on Twitter and in in, during the game, and I know that during the game is quite like knee-jerk reaction and things like that, but some people were saying that he could rise up to be like the first linebacker off the board. Um, so obviously after the game, in preparation, now that I've decided that you know, I was going to talk about Kenneth Murray, I went back and watched some 18 film and some 19 film. And I think we've got a first-round linebacker. I think he's thrown a lot of growth in the preseason. I was actually really down on this class, this class of linebackers. I think it's quite thin at the top. I feel like Kent Murray is enough to rescue it. Yeah, to be to to a degree, I am. But I think Murray could rescue it a little bit. And obviously, we're going to talk about another linebacker later on, um, who's right at the top of it as well. But I I see Murray similar to that guy. That he's a sideline sideline tackling machine. I think now when i've watched the film of him a couple of a year ago or a couple of years ago i feel like he's playing a lot looser he seems to know the game more he's sort of thinking he's thinking less and just playing instinctively and um, you know like you said before alex grinch really seems to have got him going and uh, seems to be playing really well because he was just flying around uh, on saturday and making a lot of plays
0: yeah he definitely was i think um it's interesting you you mentioned about the growth from last year. I would agree with that. I think the one area where he had a lot of impact at the weekend, where he didn't earlier in his career, was that kind of as a pass rusher or a mm. blitzer. Mm-hmm. Um, he reminds me of um, kind of reminds me of uh, either an Anthony Barr or maybe a um, um, I think he was a good example. I can't remember his name. Dante, uh, I've got him, a Fowler. Um, oh, Dante Fowler. Dante Fowler, yeah. He was one of those guys who was kind of a middle linebacker for mm-hmm. Florida for a long time, um, then, uh, but had a lot of success as a rusher and a blitzer, mm-hmm. and then obviously kind of moved to that position. Yeah, It would be interesting to see if they see Murray similar because he almost has his biggest plays as a blitzer and a rusher. He does. Um, certainly more so this year. Um, but um, he's an interesting player. I think he could do anything. I think he could be in the middle or potentially even on the edge because he's not small either. Um, so uh, we'll see what they want to do with him at the next level, but I, I think he's a. I think he could be a first rounder as well. I think considering the lack of buzz around him previously, um, if he keeps having a good year, especially in the playoffs when they're playing mm-hmm. some different offensive if they get there, um, then um, that could really, really help him out.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um, I, yeah, I, I get what you mean with the comparisons to Fowler and Anthony Barr is obviously another one who kind of was an edge at UCLA and now he's moved sort of more into the, the middle linebacking core at, uh, in Minnesota. He kind of reminds me of the role that the Chargers do with Echeni Nuosu, where uh, for USC, mm. uh, Nuosu is a bit more of a stand-up linebacker, yeah. but they're getting to kind of mix and match the Chargers. He's kind of a defensive end in rotation, but then will drop back and play the Sam. I think you could possibly see something like that with mm. and being deployed like that.
0: Yeah. It's a good, good point because... The way Grinch's scheme, he had him aligned as a, a edge rusher and dropped him out quite mm. a few times. Um, and you don't really get to see that from college linebackers a lot. So he certainly would suit a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, all of these creative defensive coordinators in the NFL, like your Pettins and your um, Gus Bradleys, you know, they'll mm-hmm. probably be looking at him and thinking, wow, I'd love to use a skill set like that.
1: Yeah, and it's all about being able to sort of do multiple roles now, isn't it? And you see a lot of hybrid no. players. Um, so, yeah, no, it's definitely on trend in the NFL. So, obviously, good for his draft
0: stock again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who've you got next? Who's up? Well, let's talk about the other linebacker um, okay. before we get to my last um, riser. So, this is a bit of a funny one because I suppose it's le- less of a riser and more of a not-a-faller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I totally agree that the linebacker class is weak. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the big names people are talking about are Troy Dye out of Oregon, Jacob Phillips out of LSU. And for me, I find their tape incredibly unappealing. I don't think they're the best athletes. I don't think they're the best readers of the game. I don't think they have any of the outstanding qualities that you want from a first-round linebacker, especially looking at guys like Devin White and Devin Bush. Mm-hmm. Um but the one guy who is still going to be on the table this year is Dylan Moses. Um, obviously out. I don't think he played a game, did he, this year? Um, he was out before the first game. Uh, I can't um, remember. But,
1: yeah, he is certainly out now with an ACL injury. But, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, he's had an ACL. I don't think he even played a game this year. I'm pretty sure it was before the first game. And um, this is you know going into his... Um, probably what is likely going to be his final season at Alabama, and he's not going to have any film to put out there mm-hmm. for the NFL. But you 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 see the fact that there are other guys out there who aren't maybe the top linebackers, and you look at guys like Miles Jack and Jalen Smith, big question marks coming into the league, but relatively straightforward injuries. You know, an ACL is is is, is uh, straightforward compared to other injuries certainly, mm-hmm. and we have seen phenomenal tape from Moses you know from a young age he was the he was the play caller and leader of that defense he athletically is as gifted as any linebacker they've had come out of there and that includes all of these first rounders that have, mm-hmm. that have come out you know you're Evans and Reggie Raglands and Reuben whoever else Foster. After Reuben Foster probably not quite as good film as Reuben Foster but um pretty good close mm-hmm. close oh, yeah. you know um, and I think he could still be drafted very, very highly um, just because of the, the fact that um, he, he is that good and he is still the best linebacker in the class for me. Yeah, no, I'd agree
1: with that. Um, I went multiple ones we were all bouncing ideas about sort of who we we're going to talk about. I did I did find it a bit curious that you mentioned Dylan Moses obviously with this big injury. Well, like you say, it's a simple injury, but it's still to keep shot for quite a long time. Uh, we do see obviously in one day people come back from it quite quickly or quicker than usual. But yeah, no, I think the way you sort of put it across, uh, it's quite interesting. And uh, yeah, no, I think yeah, you kind of sold me on it. I think you can still go quite high, especially with the examples that you've given. What would you see his ceiling? Because obviously the two guys that you mentioned went in the second round. Would you see that as a kind of similar range? Or do you see him still slipping into this first round?
0: I think because those guys were the top of the second and they had such success, if there is a team that's looking for a linebacker at the end of the first, I think you could go there. Because if it wasn't for the injury, I think he'd be a, a top 15 prospect. So I think he could be back in the first round.
1: Yeah, no, I'd, I'd go along with that, to be fair. I would have had him in the top 15, top 20 at the very, very least pre season. And you know, I expected him to put on some good game film and, and sort of cement that. Uh, obviously, linebacker is not the most valued position. Um, so it's kind of difficult to get any higher than that unless you are like a really, truly sort of groundbreaking special talent um which he could have been if we put the year of film together which he's not been able to so yeah no i'd go along with that definitely yeah so last up for me on the risers oh no it's not actually no i'm getting ahead of myself um, more. <laughs> yeah we do have a couple more sorry um yes yeah, so the next one for me can't go too long about talking about defensive back so i'm going to go for jeffrey akuda out of ohio state the corner um yeah, he kind of burst onto the, the draft. Twitter scene late in the summer. Obviously, everyone doing their summer scouting, talking about players, and Jeffrey couldn't really get sort of mentioned until late on, just for a few weeks before the season. Um, and I guess in the position that he is, obviously at Ohio State, every young DB is kind of a candidate to be a riser because when they get finally get to become the guy, then you know they've got no competition. But obviously at Ohio State, there's always someone ahead of you when you're not sort of the first guy. You know, we go through the list of Players that he's played with, you know, Denzel Ward. Um, just for that, obviously they had Ma- uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Gary and Malik Coker. Yeah. yeah, it's just a, it's just a school that just churns out defensive backs. Um, and amazing, then they've, yeah. they've got Sean Wade across from him as well, who I could have mentioned as well in the same breath as kuda as a riser. Uh, now they're the, they're the pairing and they're the ones who are going to sort of lead Ohio State for the next year. Probably going to come out and get drafted really high. But someone who's like burst on the scene, maybe because of lack of opportunity beforehand. As the guy, he's been on the he's been on the field quite a lot. He's quite experienced. He's played games as a freshman. He's played games last year, but never, like I say, in the spotlight. I think uh, talking about Isman as a player, he's lightning quick. He's got the ideal measurements to be a corner in the NFL. He's just over six foot. He's smooth. He's fluid. Excellent change direction. But this has always been the case. But it's kind of just coming to the fore now. So I think, like I say, he's just getting the limelight and he's also getting the ball production. We know that, you know, if you're gonna be a top lock down corner, we wanna see some ball production for you. off from you. So I think yeah, he'll he'll be uh, sort of rising up the draft boards and taking um people will be taking note, especially as Ohio State, like I say, go through, probably go unbeaten in the Big Ten, go through to the college football playoff and, you know, comes up against the best of the best in terms of wide receivers.
0: Yeah, I think that's um I think it's fair that, you know, the rest of his running is going to be important because um, if you're just looking at his speed and athleticism, he's elite. Mm-hmm. Like, what he's done so far, he's proven that his ability to... I mean, he runs with receivers effortlessly. Yeah. He, you know, I've, the amount of times you watch a guy run a fade and um, he seems to be jogging next to them <laughs> or, even, or even running past them. Like, it's its unbelievable, his athleticism. Um, he, he really gives a massive edge on everything faces, yeah. but if he were to face Jerry Judy or Ruggs, you know, like is he going to be able to keep up with them the same way? I'd be interested to see. Um, but I do think he has one slight weakness, which I think isn't a weakness, it's more of a classic um, OSU scheme thing. Uh, osu run a lot of that press bail from their corners Mm -hmm. either cover three or cover four where their corners appear to be in man but actually they're defending the deep third Mm -hmm. so they will play a little soft on underneath coverage um and i've seen some other people call him out and say oh well he's you know he lets some of these slants and hitches happen underneath him um but i really don't think that is something that people should be should be worried about because when he's just in man coverage he hasn't got a problem with that at all it, it, i think people have been quick to jump on i think r- the reason that they've been quick to jump on it is because he's not the biggest tackler so when he does come down and make that, that collision it's not like he's he's getting a lot of force fumbles. on yeah. um so uh some of the weaknesses that people have pointed out i think is more of a scheme thing i think that actually his athleticism He's really, really elite, and I can't wait to see him face um, maybe the Alabama receivers or whoever else he might end up playing in the playoffs because right now they look like they might win the table.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think, yes, to see him up against Jerry Judy or someone like Henry Ruggs would be really put into the test of that. You know, his athleticism, like you say, he's kind of effortless in the way that he keeps up with people, and I completely agree with you on that. But then to kind of go to that next level with someone as agile as Jerry Judy or just someone who's just flat out quick like Henry Ruggs. Well, uh, yeah, really stretch him. So, good scene. And that, you know, if he comes up, um, you know, even if Ohio State lose, but like what, kind of what was in Joe Burrow before, if Akudu um, plays well, then you know he could cement himself as a top ten pick. In a, in a very, very good cornerback class as well. It's not like he's kind of top of the class by default. Let's say. Oh, yeah. I think we were talking about uh, earlier in the week when we about how good this cornerback class is, and um, mm. excellent. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. Dive into that one a, a little later.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you'll have to wait for that one. <laughs> Could be a big one. <laughs>
1: Little teaser for everyone. Here's with your next one. Who have you got last up on your risers list?
0: Yeah, Last Riser is um, an amazing story and one of my favourite players in college football. Um, I am not a big fan of, of Notre Dame as a programme always just because I feel like they have loads of fans. Everyone loves them, <laughs> um, I, I, so I like to I like to not love them as, much as everyone else does. But but they have a player in their secondary, Alohi Gilman, who I cannot stop smiling watching him play football. Um, I remember a few years ago. So if anyone knows the story, the Alohi Gilman went to Navy. So he was he was enrolled. You know, going to go to the Navy. He was such a good talent, such a superstar in Dale Pearson's famous defense back in 2016, that he decided that he wanted to give himself the opportunity to play for a big program. Mm -hmm. So he sat out the whole of the 2017 season as he transferred over to Notre Dame. And then now last year was his first year with the program, and now it's his second year as a senior with the Notre Dame football program. And he's now given his his last opportunity to go make a chance and and a show at going for the NFL. Um, And he's really given himself that that boost and that bonus by doing that move. And I really hope it pays off for him because he's an amazing box safety. His IQ, football IQ, is really high. Mm. Like If there's a guy that he reminds me of more than anyone, it's Eric Weddle. He's just always around the ball. He's doing things that other people don't do. He does have the ability to play high, which I think um, we didn't necessarily know that he had that ability coming into this season. But the Virginia and Georgia games show that he really does have range. And um, he's everywhere. Tackles all over the place, mm-hmm. flies around the park. He puts his body on the line. He's a big hitter. Um, so fun to watch. Um, and I can't wait um, to see him get given a shot at, um, at, uh, at the NFL. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, to be honest with you, when
1: you kind of mentioned him, it was when we kind of locked down our list, I'd not actually seen a lot of him. So I went back and watched a little bit, and yeah, all I see is that, like you say, just a downhill hitter, box safety. I think he's better as a box safety, I think that's where he shows off kind of his talents more, because like you say, he's that big hitter, he's able to read things, react to the plays, because like you say, he's got good football IQ, and I think that's where he affects the game more. So yeah, I want to see him in the box, and yeah, I want to see him go to the NFL, because like you say, read up a little bit about his story, transferring and things like that, and yeah, it's a nice story.
0: Yeah, it really is interesting, and you know, people say he, he might not be able to play man coverage. Well, yeah, we haven't really seen him play man coverage, to be honest. But Harrison Smith is a guy who's an elite All-Pro safety who, who makes a living, and he never plays man coverage. So, <laughs> um, so it, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, I don't think that is a be all and end all. The fact that he can, he has shown that he can play some high, um, you know, some kind of free high mm-hmm. safety roles. Mm-hmm. That, at, least, at the very least, allows him to do some different things and coverages. Um, so I do think they'll like him at the next level. And he's a leader. Um, he's a guy who you know knows what he wants and um, made a big change to do that. And um, mm. I I think that teams will respond well to a guy like that in the NFL.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think with the point you're making about sort of what he can do and what he can't do. I think it's important to kind of focus on what people can do. Not just not just talking about you, I'm talking about people generally. Um, because we saw last year that one example just straight away comes to mind. We're talking about DK Metcalf, we're talking about his three cone and what he can't do and stuff like that. And we we should be focusing on what people can do because that's what coordinators, whether it's be offensive or defensive, that need to do they need to put players in a position to succeed by maximizing what they can do. And Metcalf, for example, is having a success doing what he can do in Seattle. And no one's mentioned that to code yeah. anymore because he's not being asked to run routes oh, awesome. where he's doing double moves or, you know, he's running complex stuff. He's yeah. just running vertical routes or vertical stem routes anyway. And he's having success because he, yeah. he's been put in a position I, to do so.
0: I think that's a really good point, actually. And I think the only, there are a couple of exceptions to that, which is like, left tackle and pass rusher you know where hmm. if, you, if you're left tackle you've got to be able to pass block um, yes. and if you're, a, if you're if you're an edge defender you've got to be able to rush mm-hmm. um, you know those things where it's hard to it's hard to just say oh we'll draft him really high and let scheme deal with the rest but like you said this position safety in particular you're very right so by pointing out that um, he's got deficits well it doesn't matter because like I said a guy like Mark Petten or you know, some of these um, other brilliant defensive coordinators in the NFL. They're not going to be wasting um, his talents where where he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be doing that.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And if you are sort of putting your players in a position where they're not going to be comfortable, then that's on you, kind of as a coordinator or as a head coach. It's not on the player because you're asking a fish to climb a tree, kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, anyway, I think someone who wouldn't have any problems climbing a tree at the moment because uh, that's what his team are doing and that's what he seems to be doing is Curtis Weaver over at Boise State. Um, Boise aren't obviously the biggest name in college football uh, but they're ranked 14 in the nation at the moment and I think one of the driving forces behind that is Curtis Weaver. Um, now, a humble brag from me, I've been on the Curtis Weaver hat train for quite a while. I've had him in my top five edge rushers for the 2020 class since well, since the start of summer when I started uh, sort of putting together my rankings and watching tape for this year um, I just see an unpolished diamond and it's a diamond that's already pretty, pretty nice <laughs> I see uh, a pass rusher who has got a lot of physical tools in terms of his strength and power, natural leverage uh, he's very quick on the snap, not as much as someone like Kinmore or someone like that but he can definitely get off the snap very quickly and I think He's the kind of person who can kick inside as well, or he could play as a defensive end in a 3-4. Mm. Um, I think he's got the size mm. to be able to do so. I think pretty similar to like Marcus Davenport or Rashawn Gary, but good. Um, I'm not like huge <laughs> on the stats, but the, Curtis Weaver's obviously got a lot of production in the back. He's got almost 30 sacks. He's got 29 and a half sacks in three years. I think we mentioned it in passing the other week that he's like Boise's... Um, Sack leader like in the programme now. And, you know, the boys, they aren't, you know, like I said, they're a Mountain West and uh, quite a smaller programme, but not one to be sniffed at. They're like, one of the better, so a group of five teams. And yeah, he's showing out and I feel like he's got a chance to go in the first round.
0: Um, I, I think that's a really good summary. I think it's very interesting you mentioned the defensive end in the 3-4 or, or bumping inside a bit. I I hadn't thought about that with him at all but i think pure size wise i i can see that definitely um he is also a good good run defender mm. um but 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 for me right now i mean i haven't watched everyone yet um the edge rushers but i've watched a fair few of them mm-hmm. and i well not out of the ones out of all of the edge rushers not named chase young he <laughs> is for me the the best pass rusher in the draft i mean some of the other guys being mentioned don't have his speed off the mark, they don't have his um hands, mm. they don't have his bend. He's got that proper, you know, that Khalil Mack, Von Miller mm-hmm. that that special bend off the edge. Um, and and don't get me wrong, there are guys that that have that have had something like that that haven't worked out. Um, one guy I remember is Randy Gregory out of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. yeah, um, or no, Nebraska, sorry, I think he was out, yes, he was. From um, Nebraska, yeah. But he was one of those guys who he did have that and it didn't work out, but it didn't work out for other reasons. Like the guy in the draft this year, Brian Burns, was a good example of a guy who Definitely. had that genuine bend off the edge and look how successful he's been. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like full skill set, Weaver's got a better full all-around skill set than a guy like Brian Burns. Ooh, um, that's a big can- ball. Brian Burns is an excellent pass rusher and as again does have that bend but, but Weaver has all of the maybe not as elite a pass rusher um, but has more of a, a better run defense has better stronger hands in, in kind of the inside run game. He works pretty hard as well. I mean I, I was amazed watching the film Like and, and yes he is playing at a lower program but they've played good teams and um, against those even good teams he is still lighten it up and uh, I can't speak higher of him I think yeah Chase Young's the guy in this draft but for me right now without having watched everyone I feel like he's the next best pass rusher
1: I like it I like it I like the sound of it you're on the, you're on the hype train with me I like it <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: Let's move yeah. on to the other side. Let's move on to our fallers. Um, I'll go first on this one, since you led off on the risers. Okay. Um, I have gone for okay. Colin Johnson, who we mentioned. Did we mention him earlier? I can't remember now. I think we did. Um, he's someone who maybe. I had down as someone who was really high on. When I was sort of looking over the tape in summer. I had him sort of going in the first round. I was really big on him, more so than other people. And like maybe I'm being sort of proven wrong on on that score. Um, but I think his kind of slip comes more from being injured mostly, and with that, people have kind of overtaken him. We talked about two wide receivers at the moment who are really rising up everyone's board in Isaiah Hodgins and Tyler Wallace, and also the the problems kind of close to home as well because he's dropped down the pecking order at Texas. You know, Devin Duvernay is overshadowing him, and he's become Elliger's favorite target. Mm. Like I say, I was really high on Colin Johnson coming into this year. I was a big fan of his size profile, which is rare because you don't see a lot of six-foot-six wide receivers who are a big play threat, no. decent route runner, as agile no. as him and can off spectacular catches. But we're just not seeing it enough, not seeing him on the field enough and you know, he, his season's not lost, but he's got to stay off the treatment table and kind of put in a lot of strong performances for Texas in the next you know, few games, I think, to kind of build his stock back up. And if he doesn't, then he's going to slip right down because there's a lot of good wide receivers in this class.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I haven't got loads to say about him because I haven't done the deep dive on Colin Johnson. But I did watch a lot of his film last year. And I've watched all of the Texas games this year. And the one thing that I'd say that stands out is, last year, I kept watching games going, who is that giant wide receiver <laughs> who is making all these plays? Mm. Uh, and this year, I bet uh, I don't think I noticed he was playing until until um, until I looked into it. Like he, it. he he wasn't jumping off a film, um, and and he has had a few more drops. The stats say so. Hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not gonna weigh in on it too much yet, but so, yeah, yeah, I think it's a fair it's a fair one to call a faller.
1: Okay, uh, how who's your next one? Who's your next faller? Who's your first faller?
0: So, um, yeah, I've got a couple I want to talk about, but let's um, let me continue on the pass rusher trend. So, I've just kind okay. of talked about Curtis Weaver, and let's talk about one of those guys who has been unimpressive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, hopefully, I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Um, the defensive end for Iowa, AJ Epanisa. Yep, I think you've got that. Yep. So, um, he's a good footballer, you know, very strong hands. Ten and a half sacks last year. Uh, and he had four force fumbles last year as well. Well, um, He's got a really good motor. Um, he has a genuine pump move. You know, that inside strong hand throwing a guy away. He is strong. He works hard on a hard-working defense. Mm-hmm. And because that defense is good and they put seven guys in coverage, most reps, and the guys are very good in coverage, he does get a lot of sacks. Um, you know, he, or he did get a lot of sacks last year. Anyway, this year he's still got 30 as well. Um, but I think this is one of those classic cases of, um, you know, the production without the talent. I, I don't think he's got any burst off the mark. Certainly not level next to a guy like Weaver or, or Chase Young. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't win with his hands uh, in terms of like. Uh, speed moves or, or pass rushing. Other than that, that strong hunt move, um, and he's really not refined as a pass rusher. You know, maybe uh, the one thing I could say that maybe I'm overthinking is the fact that potentially he deliberately gets held back because of the scheme, and maybe they're trying to force him to play run first all the time. Um, but you just don't see that pass rushing ability. Is he a good run defender? Yes. Is he strong and and has a good mm-hmm. motor? Yes. But is that enough for a top first round pick? Definitely not. And a lot of guys have got him ranked in their kind of top 20 on their big board. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't see how anyone could spend a first round pick on a guy who isn't going to give you pass rush threat. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, but you just
1: said when we were talking earlier about, you know, things that you need to do as a pass rusher, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I just don't think that is uh, one of his skill sets. I think he could be a good footballer um, in terms of like fitting in well in a scheme. Um, you know there have been other guys who have done similar things, um, but they they are not the first rounders. They're usually um, guys who put in a good effort. Um, I mean, uh, without joke, like he the, the the player who reminds me of is John Simon, who's a defensive end who's bounced around in the league. You know, he's been at the Colts, mm-hmm. and the Pats, and the Texans. He's been all over the place. Um, good footballer. I actually very like, much like John Simon again, but but um, he's he's not a star, and um, certainly not. Top twenty player uh, for me, so that's that's yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: Interesting. I think one thing that's interesting about Epineza for me is he got all this production last year as a part timer. He didn't start mm. last year. He played about forty percent of the snaps and got loads of production. But now he's starting for Iowa, and it's gone the other way. I find that quite bizarre.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, that maybe he's playing too many reps. Like maybe he's not fully healthy or something like that. Um, yeah. We don't know, um, and for his sake, you know, I, I uh, hope he gets better and hope he we see some more. But even when you watch last year's film, those sacks were effort sacks. Mm. Um, they were coverage sacks. They weren't. He's beaten a man on the outside. Very, very rarely do you see that. In fact, I, I don't think I've seen him do that in one of his sacks.
1: Interesting, because obviously, there are quite a lot of people who. Maybe they're doing their research before the draft and things like that. It might just you know, gloss over it, look at the box score, and then you know see all these sacks, things like that. But it's like the method behind it. Is kind of, you've got to dive into that as well, which I think is really interesting. interesting. I'm going to stick with Iowa for my next one. I'm going to stick with uh, Iowa and go for Alaric Jackson, the left tackle for the Hawkeyes. <laughs> um, and like we just said about Colin Johnson... Oh, we're hating
0: on Iowa right
1: now. We are a little bit. <laughs> we are a little bit. Maybe it's because they lost to Michigan. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think, like with Colin Johnson, I think there's some players' best ability as their availability. And Jackson left their opener with a knee injury and hasn't been seen since. Um when I was watching obviously offensive line film, you kind of watch the whole group. Uh, you're watching for Tristan Wirth, who's kind of the one right at the top of the top of the boards for everyone in terms of tackles, or at least in the top couple. But then you got John, Jackson over on the other side, and he's very talented as well. And I was kind of wanting to see him kind of move away from having sloppy footwork that he had last year he had a bit poor anchor last year as well and you kind of wanting to see him move into this year and you know improve on those sort of areas of his game and, and I'm sure that's what he wanted as well Um, which obviously just can't happen because he can't put any tape on the you know to on, on his record let's say and uh, yeah, he's just—he's obviously just not there and just injured. So, he's just, yeah, I've really lost my train of thought here. <laughs> yeah, he's injured, and you can't sort of improve on anything that you have done. I've really balls this up
0: because I've really lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. Um, I, I, don't think, honestly, I don't think you have. I think, I think it's, a, it, it, it's an interesting one because. Like you said, um, there's a few things to consider there. And one of them is the fact that he's not been healthy. Um, but he did, you know, he has been back on the field since that first game now. And, um, he, and I think the interesting bit is he's come back and he, he looks a lot worse. Um, maybe he's not fully fit. Um, hmm. But, um, you know, the, the problem for me is, yes, he's talented. Um, yes, he has good, he's a good athlete. He's um, He's big. Um, when he's a mm. pulling lineman, he mm. can be very aggressive as well. When you see some pin and pull stuff they do. He, he in open field, he wants to hurt people. Yes. Um, but he's a bit of a turnstile for me. Like um, versus Michigan, like the one thing I always love to see from tackles. Um, when you, it's something that you uh, most of the time the NFL combine is a bit of waste. But the one drill that I love watching is when you see the offensive tackles practice there kick step with a mm. rusher outside of them, mm-hmm. and the job. The job is to stay square to the line of scrimmage for as long as possible with body control and patience. And it's really interesting to see, even just without pads and helmet, who can't move properly. Mm. And I remember watching some clip of uh, I remember watching Jake Matthews do it and thinking like he looked like a robot. He did it perfectly, mm-hmm. and then he ended up going as a high first round pick. Um, I, I'm really interested to see what Alaric Jackson does when he gets his opportunity to do that at the combine. Because as a, on the field, he's just turning all over the place. If someone rushes outside of him, he just turns straight into them. If someone rushes inside of him, he turns straight into them. He, he doesn't control his feet. Um, and even though he is strong and can be aggressive, it actually means that he loses the ability to be violent because mm-hmm. he's got himself in a bad position. And you know, when he does get a hold of someone um he's pretty good but most of the time he's giving people a push and they're getting away from him um very unrefined and um uh, i I can't see him being a a high high candidate even though some people were talking about him as Mm. one of the more um higher prospects at one point
1: yeah they were yeah well rescued thank you for that (laughs) you completely dug me out of that (laughs) i completely lost my train of thought on what i was going to say but yeah no, you've summed up really well um one thing that I thought of as you were sort of talking about the combine drill uh, with the, sort of the kick slide is, was it with uh, Orlando Brown a couple of years ago where he completely kind of felt a bit on things like that and that kind of really tanked his draft, <laughs> yeah. draft stock because he was obviously obviously good sort of bloodline that he's come from with his dad playing in the NFL and he just looked out of shape and yeah. just out of out of place in those kind of drills and it just shows that those sort of you know, the combine itself and those drills in particular for those people can have a huge impact. Uh because you just don't look like, like the part really. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see him. Maybe like you say, yeah. maybe he's not hundred percent right in his health after that injury. And uh you know, if it lingers on then that massive impact. So he'll probably be a mid rounder like Orlando Brown was
0: yeah, but Orlando Brown is starting now in the NFL, so know, things do change, but um but but I think right now um he doesn't look to me. Um, like uh, he's someone that people are going to be going close to in the draft.
1: Mm, no, I agree. I agree. He's definitely fell off. Who's the next guy for you yeah. who's fell off?
0: Um, hmm. I've got a couple of people to talk about. Let's go to. <laughs> let's go to. Okay. Let's go to Najee Harris. This okay. is an interesting one. It is an interesting one. Yeah. Again, he's had a. He has had a pretty good year. Um, and um, it's funny as we talk about him and Dylan Moses because. Uh, If anyone's a fan of high school football, they will know that um, the highest rated running back and the highest rated linebacker in the the 20-whatever class that those two came out Mm -hmm. was Najee Harris and Dylan Moses. And both of them faced off against each other in the, um, there was a, I can't remember it was one of these one of these um, famous, uh, you know, high school camps. Whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the opening or something like that. And these two came up against each other in a linebacker was running back drill. And And um, Najee Harris ran straight through Moses. And um, you remember, I remember thinking, I cannot believe these two are both going to Alabama. It was like <laughs> cheat codes. It was unbelievable. Um, and whereas Dylan Moses has... Um, in my opinion, is going to be a first-round pick without even playing this final year. I am not so sure about Najee Harris. Um, I think some of the other running backs in the class um, are probably going to be rising. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, he lacks some qualities. Um, so, first of all, he is an amazing professional. Uh, he's an excellent pass blocker. Um, he actually is um, pretty good as a run. Blocker as well in certain situations where he just get to lead. Um, he runs clean routes. He's got good hands. Um, he, he's one of these guys who, when you run play action, he'll sell it like it's a run. He is like going to make an oversee very happy somewhere. He's he's a very professional athlete. Um, but going into this season, there were really two things that he had to do, um, two jobs that he needed to show that he could do to be a top first round pick. Um, and those two things for me were show that he could be a passing threat, mm-hmm. and show that he had some elus- you know, some elusiveness to his game. Um, and the passing threat he really has improved on. Um, the South Carolina game was a great example. They were fourth down, um, just uh, just inside the South Carolina half, and they got uh, ballsy on fourth down, and they went went for it. And um, he ran a beautiful route over the middle. To a che- um, throws the ball to him, and he ended up getting a 43-yard touchdown on a passing play, mm-hmm. and you can see that out of him last year. But, um, but again, that wasn't really him being elusive. That was him being quick and strong and running good routes. Sure. The one thing that I think, it maybe he's a victim of circumstance. You know, with Kamara and McCaffrey, and now Jacobs coming out of um, you know in the Raiders, uh, these the NFL players now these running backs. They need to be able to win in space. Mm -hmm. The the one problem I see with Najee Harris is you don't really see him make people miss. Um, And he hasn't, this season, like I said, he had two jobs. He had to show people he could be a passing threat and he had to show that he can make people miss and be elusive. And I just don't see that elusivity side of it. I don't see him making people miss. I see him falling forward and hitting... Mm -hmm hitting linebackers and driving falling forward for five yards. But I can't see how, considering people are rating him as a highest rated running back in the class. I can't see how the highest rated running back in the class is a guy who isn't going to make people miss in space. Hmm. Um, He doesn't seem like he's going to be that guy. Um, And I think that will hurt his draft stock. And I think it's a shame we haven't seen that out of him, but also uh, maybe that's just not him.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, first of all, like you say, he's definitely shown that he can sort of catch the ball. He's done it very nicely. Mm. He's scored some receiving touchdowns, which he hadn't done before. And yeah, he has definitely added that facet to his game. But like you say, you know, when you sort of talk about the players that you have done, uh, right at the top with McCar- uh, McCaffrey and Kamara and players of that ilk, Barkley, who can do it all, he's not in that bracket. And to kind of, whoever's kind of... High- Putting in that bracket of the top running back in this class is kind of crazy to me as well. When you see someone like Jonathan Taylor, who you can do, who's, who also has added the sort of receiving part of his game this year, and is also doing a lot more on the ground, and you know he's taking over games, and he is Wisconsin's offense. And then you've got, you know, we talked about him before. We talked about Travis Etienne and his kind of angle, destroying speed, and you've got a whole horse running backs right up there at the top. And I think Najee Harris is kind of in the second group. And to me, with the way that running back has been valued at the moment, kind of makes him a second-round player at the very most.
0: Mm. And I agree. And I think um, the talk of him being uh, um, a first-rounder just doesn't seem realistic at this point. Uh, Not because he's not a good player. Not because he can't make a career in the Mm -hmm. NFL. um, But he's just not... I don't think he's elite as some of the other guys. And I think Jonathan Taylor is a funny one to bring up because... He has actually, I've seen quite a bit of, um, what's the word, discrepancy around mm-hmm. around where people rank him. So maybe that's a discussion for another day. Um, but I agree. I, I don't think um, you get the same from Najee Harris as you do there. Um, so uh, we'll see. Um, I think that if anyone gets him the first, it will be a reach. But um, he is a good footballer.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, we've seen many... a mid-round running back and even later than that and your late round running back undrafted drafted running backs make yeah. very successful careers and you know having good seasons so yeah no i think the way the running back is is kind of done at the, at the moment in the nfl with the kind of committee approach being done by almost everyone he'll definitely find his way into that, that situation and like you say have a good career i would say
0: of course yeah of course
1: so last one for me. Uh I'm gonna go back to talking about defensive backs. And this one might seem as a bit of a funny one as so well. I kind of undenied about this one a little bit. I, I kind of worried whether I was being a little, <laughs> a little bit harsh. Uh but it's Paulson Adebo from Stanford. Um yeah. he's he's having a good season, don't get me wrong, but I think he's sliding down a little bit because of the team the players around him and the team he's got around him not having a good season and the players who are competing with him are having good seasons, really good seasons. Um, He first came onto my radar when I was doing my summer scouting and I wasn't even watching for him. And it's always a good sign when you're kind of watching for one player and another player keeps popping up. It is. Um, I was watching Justin Herbert, actually. And um, I was watching Oregon's game against Stanford. Mm. And I couldn't help but notice that Adebo was making Justin Herbert's life very, very difficult. He made the play in overtime that won Stanford the game with a pass deflection. And, yeah, I just thought, I've got to watch more of this guy. So I watched more of him. and. He's fantastic. You know, again, like Jeffrey Akuda, he's got all the physical attributes, he's got the size, um, he's got everything that you want in a in a top boundary corner, but you want to see more plays on the ball. I mean, I've said with Akuda, mm-hmm. you're getting that right now. You know, before this season, Akuda had never got a pick. He's now got three and six games or something like that. Adibo's still not making those plays on the ball. And defense in the NFL now is essentially just about creating turnovers. You can bend you know, if you don't break, you can force, and that's fine. But it's about turning the ball over and, and get, giving your offense the ball back. And that's what you need. And if you're going to draft a corner really, really high, which, I mean, like I say, when I was making my rankings, I had Pulsing and Debo draft, um, drafted ranked as my second corner out of everyone. And this is a very good corner class, as we mentioned. And I'm not sure I can keep him that high when he's not causing turnovers.
0: Yeah, I think um I think it's a fair point in terms of turnovers. Um and definitely uh NFL teams are looking for that now. Um he is an elite athlete as well. Mm. He really is. Like um he is one of those guys like you mentioned you mentioned like the positives. That Oregon game last year was a great example of him coming out and just um, putting pressure all over the board. And I think he there are some games where like that, um where he's pretty comfortable. If you allow him to um, kind of get into the game and feel himself a little bit, you know, kind of get some confidence, mm-hmm. he thrives off of it. Uh, Washington, he won a Defensive Player of the Week award a couple of weeks ago yeah. in the Washington game. This is
1: what made me think I was kind of being a bit harsh. Yeah.
0: No, no, but I, I think it's a fair point because in the Washington game was a great example of what he can do well. He plays off man coverage as confidently as any player i've seen in years in the way that he just he'll play 10 yards off and he'll know that if you throw something short he's going to destroy the guy who catches it because Mm -hmm. he's a violent hitter which you don't see a lot out of cornerbacks Mm -hmm. um but also he's got the speed that if it's a double move or they want to take him deep that he's more than comfortable taking that arm um so one he's got that element to his game um, uh, and that worked well against Washington um, but but the Oregon game this year um, was a good example of where it was almost the opposite so yeah Oregon last year Washington this year he played amazing but he did have some troubles in that game um, not that he had opportunities to pick but showed that maybe um, isn't fully complete skill set in terms mm-hmm. of when he's in zone um, you know Stamford put him in man coverage quite a lot which helps him mm. but um, I, I, think, I, I, I do wonder if he's one of those guys who potentially doesn't have the full skill set it's always difficult when they're limited by a scheme mm. um, but like you said I think more than anything it's not that he's done terribly it's just that uh, he hasn't impressed as much as he did before he certainly doesn't seem to have grown his game anyway um, and there are a lot of other really good cornerback prospects this year um, sad news about Bryce Hall this week um, definitely he's, uh, he's out injured is he for the year yeah he's done I think he's dislocated his ankle um, yeah done
1: for the year he's obviously done at Virginia now obviously being a senior and he was my CB1 for, at the start of the year I absolutely love Bryce Hall I think he's a great prospect hope it doesn't hurt yeah. his draft stock too much but yeah really sad news definitely
0: I hope so but with these, with, with Bryce <coughs> Hall having had good film until he was out mm. he was the uh, both Ohio State corners looking good um, who else is in there? There's Fulton, of them, loads of other names. Oh, for example, uh, you've got yeah, uh, John
1: Johnson yeah. at um, Utah. Yeah, there's a load, and just off the top
0: of our heads, I'm is, sure
1: if we have a proper look, then we can see some more. Yeah, like I
0: said, we'll, we'll probably have to do a deep. Yeah, dive <laughs> bit, but, but, but with with all of these bodies out there, Adibo is unfortunately, um, you know, if you're not going up. You're, if you're staying still, you're going down, basically. Exactly. The um, because there's loads of corners playing well. Um, so, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think, like you say, you've got to keep going, otherwise uh, you get overtaken. I think that's the sort of what's fell foul of quite a few of our falls, I would say. Yeah. So, for the next one, you're going to stay in the um, pack 12 to finish us off, aren't you?
0: I am. I'm going to go for the quarterback who had a tough day. Against Wilson Devo, which is Jacob Eason. Now, Jacob Eason's a really funny one for me because he actually has everything you want in a quarterback. Mm-hmm. He has a very good arm, like maybe the best arm in the draft, like that good. Um, really quick release. He's he's got a great size. He's good, you know, and he's not he's not immobile. He's pretty mobile. He can move. Um, he certainly appears to be able to move in the pocket. You, know, you get him scrambling occasionally. He's not immobile, um, mm-hmm. and from a production perspective, he's had two. Ga- they've lost two games where he threw under 200 yards, both of them. But in across those two games, there were more than 10 drops. More than 10 drops. So that's a lot. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been 10 <laughs> drops. But that's loads in t- for two games. Like he really has been hurt by a poor uh, Washington wide receiver core. Hmm. So if you look at those things and you say he's got all of this skill set and the only time he's played badly is when his receivers have done bad, you might say, actually, this is not a faller. If anything, this could be a riser. Um, but for me, there is a couple of fundamental issues with um, with him not being able to ever win in the fourth quarter, he's never going to be able to put the team on his back and do that. We just haven't seen him do that yeah. in either program. So for anyone that doesn't know, Ethan started his career at Georgia um, and then through injury, found his way to um, Washington mm-hmm. uh, when uh, From came in. Um, I don't think he deals particularly well with pressure. Um, you know, when teams get after him, that's when he's really struggled. And um, it's not just like, Oh, you know, his o-line is getting overmatched like he feels that he probably a bit quicker than he should do um and certainly doesn't make as good decisions in those in- instances and i think the the biggest most predominant problem for me with eason is his deep ball uh and his ability to push the ball down the field is he capable of throwing the ball deep of course he is he's got mm-hmm. a fantastic yeah. arm yeah but he's very inconsistent, and I think part of the inconsistence is his lack of willingness to do so. You know, we're, If I could compare him as a thrower, it would be not the same level of athleticism, but as a thrower, I would compare him to Marcus Mariota, who, as we've just seen, yes, five years into his NFL career, but he's now having problems in that area, mm. um, in large part because of what kind of player he is. Eason is not someone who's going to take risks throwing the ball down the seams. He's not someone that throws it up to his receiver and says, "Go win a one-on-one." Mm-hmm. He, 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 you don't get that confidence out of him, and I'm not sure that ability that, that that will be able to carry through to the NFL. That's interesting. That's an interesting take. I mean, I think
1: I guess Marcus Mariota is kind of a, a, <laughs> a pretty damning. Comparison to I would say because obviously he's very low in everyone's estimations at the moment with the way his sort of career's panned out and especially over the last few years and yeah Eason kind of comes up against Oregon obviously massive game on the weekend and then Utah after that so big Pac-12 games against two of the best teams in the Pac-12 and you know as a Washington player and as a Washington fan you would kind of want to sort of clash yourself in that sort of range I guess and these are the teams that you've got to beat Obviously, as we said they've lost two games now and you know they're out of the uh, postseason contention and probably out of the pac 12 contention
0: mm-hmm. but
1: like you say you this is a, yeah. this is the area where you would want to see Jacob Eason kind of put his team in his back and, and kind of winning some game win them some games but you know, it, it remains to be seen whether they can whether we can do that so yeah no, i think it's a pretty fair assessment um and like you said I think maybe the inconsistencies is, is kind of he's kind of blotching out the talent a little bit because obviously the talent's there. He's obviously a former five-star, went to Georgia, uh, got beaten out by From, and then transferred. Um, mm. I think that's another thing is that, that when you were watching Jacob Eaton in the summer before he played for Washington, the tape was so old that you kind of didn't really know what to make of it. You know, you, you knew the talent was there, but it's kind of that consistency. Maybe having that year out has... Um, led to that inconsistency a little bit because he's not been able to play proper, maybe. proper games, you know.
0: It's a good point. And I think one of the things is that, you know, I think maybe the hype around him was, oh, he's finally going to get his shot again mm. um, because of the way it ended in Georgia. Mm. They, it's not that Georgia even wanted, not that they wanted to let a guy like that go. It's just you couldn't have a guy like that sit on the bench. Sure, yeah. Um, so, um, y- yeah, I mean... We'll see. He is certainly talented, mm-hmm. um, but uh, there are there are still a lot of problems with his game. A lot of things that I am hesitant about. Um, and we'll see. I am he probably more than almost any player in this draft. Am I interested to see how his stock um, will will kind of carry on after this point?
1: Yeah, he's kind of a big mystery, isn't he, at this tur- at this point in time. So, yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see how some sort of GMs and scouts kind of see him. And I guess we'll get quite a high variance in what people do say about him and what they sort of value in him and how they kind of see him as a projection, I guess. Yeah. Uh, is there anyone that you want to kind of sneak in before we end this podcast is there anyone you know, you left off your list or sorry you just left off your list that you wanted to put in or anything like that is there anyone
0: um, I suppose the only person that we probably should mention because he's unbelievable um, is CD Lamb Yes. Um, uh, CD Lamb is, you know, we didn't mention in the... We talked about Jalen Hurts and the defense earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost because you take it for granted how good he is. Um, But CD Lamb, wide receiver for Oklahoma, is uh, more capable than almost any receiver to come out of the draft in a few years. He is so talented with the ball in his hand, running routes, catching, big plays. Uh, unbelievable talent and um, I think he's going to be drafted very highly
1: yeah no I completely agree he was astounding wasn't he against Texas oh amazing Um, and like you say with the ball in his hand we're talking about playmakers and, and making people miss talking about running backs and he's like a kind of running back when he's got the ball in his hand you know he's slipping past people and just making things happen. And at times, he had defenders around him and he, he manages to slip by someone and make people's miss. And he goes and scores mm-hmm. such hands. And yeah, he's he's definitely rising up the boards for a lot of people. I think, if I remember right, without having it in front of me, I think I had him ranked as my wide receiver four before the season. I think even more wide receiver one or two at the moment, um, You know, going up against someone like Jerry Judy, perhaps. Um, so yeah, no, definitely. And that was one that was in front of like kind of a national audience in a massive game. And he had, again, without having the numbers in front of me, I think he had something like 170 yards and three touchdowns. So you can't get better than that, really.
0: No, I I think, yeah, I think he might be my my wide receiver one now. I mean, he he's so special. And if I had to find a comparison, the guy who I can't help but think about every time I see him is Odell Beckham. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, the way he controls his body and he just seems to be you know, able to do whatever he wants to do. Mm. Um, that really f- feels like the closest person for me. Again, not a guy who was, I mean, well, he was picked in the first round, 15th pick, maybe 16th pick. Um, but, Something but like that, that
1: range. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: But some people thought that was high at the time. You know, some people didn't <laughs> have him as the first round, which obviously seems crazy now, but <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, no, interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I, Kind of, of this bit, I've kind of just sprung it on you by asking you that to so sort of finish it off. But C D Lamb's quite an interesting. When I was was watching the game on Saturday, and I was kind of thinking with the way that C D Lamb's kind of moving past people, he kind of reminds me someone of someone. He kind of reminded me of someone who I almost put on my uh, fallers a little bit. I think one person I was going to put on my followers was Lavisca Chennault. Mm. and he kind of he's kind of playing in a way that I want Lavisca Chennault to play. Because we know that LaVisca Chenault can do those sort of things, but he's kind of not yeah. shown it as much this season. He was that's... kind of like uh, Isaiah Hodgins kind of thing, where he was the total offence Colorado last year, and he's not been that this year.
0: No, no that's actually a really good comparison, because I think knows. Biggest ability was his after catch, you know, mm. ball in hand. Mm. Last year, I think that was the thing where people thought, "Wow, isn't he special?" Exactly. Um, but you're right. I mean, Colorado. I mean, I mean, probably worth us mentioning that Oregon game. Um, Colorado been about as good as a back twelve team has been all year, and Oregon destroyed them forty-five-three, and it was the first time Shinar was faced a really good defense. Well, he would faced other good defenses, mm-hmm. but. Um it was a good example of him not being able to get open, not being able to get yards. Um yeah. Good good shout, I think.
1: Yeah, so there you go. There's a couple of extra little bonus ones for us. There's just little mm. ad libs from us both. Um so yeah, no, um if you sort of want more of this chat, we'll be kind of focusing more on more on the draft as we move through the season and especially after after the season has finished. Uh, so, yeah, if you like this sort of draft talk and draft kind of rundown about players and things like that, then stick with us over at the Full 10 Yards College Football. If you do want to follow us uh, on Twitter, we are at full 10 Yards CFB. My handle, if you want to follow me personally, is at Wakefield90. And Maxwell over here is at A underscore winning underscore smile. And you can see us very active on Twitter uh, talking about all sorts of things football-wise and college football-wise. So, yeah, if you like this podcast give us a follow, give the podcast a follow and tell everyone about it. Tell them to listen as well. Um, And yeah, we thank you for your support. We thank you for, you know, having fun with us on social media and uh, getting involved. And like I say, thanks for your support just in general with everything you do, liking our articles and giving them a read as well. So yeah, we'll say goodbye. We'll round it out. Axel, goodbye from you. Goodbye from me. And yeah, goodbye from me as well. See you on the other side, people. We'll uh, look forward to another week of college football and having you back here next week, next Tuesday. See you then. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, Full10Yards.com, or follow us on Twitter at Full10YardsCFB. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.